Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Sheva Zucker. Sheva is the author of the textbooks, Yiddish and Introduction to the Language, Literature, and Culture, Volumes 1 and 2. She has taught and lectured on Yiddish culture and Jewish literature around the world and at major universities, as well as at Uriel Weinreich Summer Program in Yiddish Language, Literature, and Culture, sponsored by YIVO Institute for Research in New York City, where she's taught for over two decades. She served as a translation editor of Pockentrager for several years and was the executive director of the League for Yiddish and also the editor emeritus of its all-Yiddish publication, Offenschwell. Her research and translation work focus mainly on women in Yiddish literature. Welcome, Sheva. It's really a delight to have you on for today's conversation. You're somebody I've known about ever since I came to the Yiddish Book Center. Um, so I'm eager to speak with you not only in general, but about your latest work, which is the publication of a volume, Golden Peacock, The Voice of Yiddish Writers. Um, and the book features 12 Yiddish writers reading their poetry and prose. So tell me a little bit about um, how this all came about. Okay. Uh, first of all, great to be here with you wherever here is at the moment. But um, So I should start by saying that this is the second Golden Peacock. Uh, the first one was all Yiddish. And that came out, that's horrible to say, about 20 years ago. And then there was a lag of 20 years until I came out with the Golden Peacock Bilingual. So how it came about actually goes back to my textbook, I think. Um, I'm a teacher of Yiddish, and I felt that it was very important for students to hear the language spoken from the mouths of native speakers. Um, I consider myself a semi-native speaker. Um, and I, I felt it was really important for them to hear the language from the voice of mainly Eastern European born uh, speakers. So actually on my in my textbook, I have a, a dialect uh, cassette. It was then. Now it's a, whatever it is, an MP3. Um, and I kept thinking, how do how do I give people more of this? And it came to came to me that the best way to do this would be for them to hear Yiddish from the lips of native Yiddish speakers. And who could be better than writers? Then they could hear the real deal. You know, Yiddish in its most beautiful, polished. Iteration. So that's kind of how I came up with the idea of the Golden Peacock. And I did the first uh, CD uh, um, about 20 years ago. And I, at some point in the middle, decided to do a bilingual version because, A, I think it could help even the, the people who are studying Yiddish, having the English could help them better understand the Yiddish. And hopefully it might be able to go wider to people who didn't know Yiddish. This was kind of a, a way in uh, for them. So that's how it took flight, slowly. <laughs> and to that end, I will say, as um, people who listen to the podcast often um, hear me say, I'm not a Yiddish speaker. And so I really appreciate both the bilingual presentation in that I can read um, uh, the poems and the work. Um, and also, um, it's just, it's, great to um, learn 
about the writers. It just the whole presentation of this is really nice. Um, there are a lot of different ways to enter into this, depending on your understanding of the language or your um, knowledge of the writer. So um, it's quite wonderful. Um, yeah. If I, I can just add. Yeah. yeah. Not if you want. But I think one of the reasons it took me so long to complete it other than kids work, you know, the usual thing is I had a feeling in the middle that maybe this wasn't necessary. It, you know, in the middle, the Internet just exploded and suddenly there was so much audio stuff online from the Book Center, from the Montreal Public Library, from all sorts of places. And I thought, eh, well, maybe people don't really need to hear this. But then I thought, well, actually, I still think, as you mentioned, the presentation that, that this, you know, it's one thing to listen to something and then go find the text and then go find the translation and who is this writer so i after a while i thought no no i should i should finish this because i hope that this can give people something in a much easier easily more easily accessible way and i also think you bring a lot to the curation of it um and that and and also the idea of how you marry the bilingual and the bios and the recordings which um makes me want to ask you, you write in your introduction, and I love this, I can only hope the listener will agree with me that despite the tape hiss and crackle, speaking in the background, clocks ticking, trains passing, and street noise, that it is better to hear Sholem Aleichem, Lazels, Dropkin, and many others than to not hear them at all. And yes, in a word, it is truly incredible to hear the voice of these writers in general and reading their work. And so I got to ask you, how did you go about finding the recordings? I can't imagine it was anything less than a treasure hunt. Um, It was fun. Um, (laughs) It's so long ago, but uh, some of them I got from obvious sources, the uh, Montreal Jewish library uh, public library is an absolute treasure. And now they're, they're partnering with you folks, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's the Brandt audio library. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that, uh, Lamashal, uh, excuse me, for example, uh, Kadya Molodovsky comes, uh, I think her recordings probably come from there. Um, Layla's, uh, you know, a number of them. Uh, but even there, I mean, they are available, but often you have to kind of sift through an interview to to find the poetry. Uh, some came from the Yivo, uh, the Ailey Wiesel selection was uh, something that luckily they taped at a program. Uh, others are more interesting, or uh, let's say less likely. Uh, the Glatstein I have from Richard Fine, who is a wonderful Glatstein translator, who got it in turn from Ruth Whitman, who was a sort of earlier generation. Um, so he just gave it to me in good faith. Um, Maybe the most interesting is Celia Dropkin. I got it from her son, John Dropkin, who uh, is no longer with us, but obviously at the time he was. And he told me that his mother just uh, apparently on the boardwalk in Coney Island, there used to be these little booths where you could go in and make a recording of your voice. And one day she just decided to go into this booth and make this recording you know, like a picture you can go into a booth and that's how we have this wonderful recording a couple of others were sent to me 
uh, at the time that I did it, um, uh, um, Bela Schachter-Gottesman was alive, as was uh, Yechiel Schreibmann and Sutzgewehr, although I, I don't think he sent that to me. I think I got that from archives and then asked his permission. So yeah, some of them were, were sent to me by the writers themselves. Does it still excite you when you hear them? It does. You know, sometimes I just put it on. <laughs> I mean, mostly I'm listening for mistakes, God forbid, or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, it's still great to hear their voices and and to, you know, Often when you edit something, you don't kind of see the forest for the trees. You know, I edit it, I'm listening for his, little hisses and clicks, and I don't really stop and say, oh, what's this whole thing about, you know? But now I, can, <laughs> I sit back and I read it and I say, oh, okay. And that's how his voice helps me or her voice helps me understand it better. It's so true. I, mean, I love going to authors' talks before I read a book because I feel like you sometimes will get the writer's, you know, sort of cadence delivery and that voice stays with me. It's like being read to. And for these works and writers, I imagine it's quite a treat to, again, let them inhabit that part of the reading um, and, and your reading of them. Yeah, I mean, I would say the writer is not always the best reader or interpreter of his or her own work. Uh, but I think that uh, their readings are generally instructive. I mean, if they are going to emphasize a certain word or pause, then we should take note. Obviously, to them, that was important. So what what is he or she telling us by the way he or she reads and the quality of their voice isn't always what we expect um but that's okay you know it's uh, it's an it's an interesting part of of who they are um so Sheva, your work you know has focused a, a lot on women in yiddish literature and you were a early um woman who has been involved in exploring that um and bringing that work to all of us over the years. And I mentioned when we talked about your coming on that the Yiddish Book Center um, in 2020 launched our decade of discovery and that every year, you know, for the ensuing 10 years, we would be presenting around a theme. And this year's theme is women in Yiddish. So this is an opportunity for me, not only to talk about this book, um, but your ongoing work um, with women in Yiddish literature. And then following this, we'll, we'll play a couple of the recordings of women who are featured in the Golden Peacock. But I'd love to hear your thoughts as you reflect on where things have come from, which is a long way um, from 20 years ago when people began to discover these women writers. Yeah, it's... Um... It's really amazing. I mean, I think now we can start questioning the whole category of women writers in Yiddish. Like, I think, so at the beginning, this was a necessary uh, category because it was a totally ignored <laughs> category. I mean, I studied Yiddish literature for many years and uh, from many wonderful teachers, but only one half of one class was ever devoted to a woman writer. 
It was Dvorah Fogel with Professor Hanish Meruk, I remember. Um, and that's it. You know, it's kind of amazing. So um, in the beginning, those of us that were working on it really had to, I don't know how we found them. <laughs> you know, we'd go to the, the lexicon and you know, there, as, as somebody who went to a Yiddish school, I can remember that, you know, there was a poem here and there by Kadya Molodovsky, certainly not by Celia Dropkin because she was much too sexy and erotic, you know, Um so we we really and there there were living Yiddish writers then like Rachel Korn. I mean, so if you were on the scene, you had to be aware of the women that were there. I mean, it helped that a number of women writers were still alive in in my day. Uh, Rachel Shechlinsky, who's a wonderful writer, and Bela and Rachel Korn and uh, many others. So that helped. We could at least take note Chava Rosenfarb of of who was there. Um, but now I think women are maybe becoming a little bit more part of the canon, although I think that uh, personally to, to start uh, people who are introduced to Yiddish literature only on a diet of women writers isn't right either. You know, there is the canon, there is Shalom Aleichem, there is parents. So they have, I think the ideal is to really integrate them. And just as with all of these kind of, you know, ethnic studies or whatever, I think we all look forward to a day where you won't have to have courses on women in Yiddish literature because they will just be an integral part. And I think we're, we're certainly moving more in that direction, but it's going to take time. And in the meantime, yeah, let's, let's talk about those women. <laughs> so speaking of which, um, you know, again, the collection is 12 writers um, and it's a mix of male and female writers. Um, but I'm going to kind of um, select these women um, if that is okay with you. Sure. So can we start with um, a re- recording of Celia Dropkin. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about Dropkin and recording that we're going to play. Okay. So the recording that we're going to play, Zipralte Hent von Bemer, Durch Nacht und Regen, Outspread outspread arms of trees through night and rain because two names because when she reads it's one thing when it's published it's another. I can't remember which is which, but I make it clear in the book. If only I remembered what my logic was. Um, it's a wonderful poem, and it's a wonderful poem audioly, yeah, uh, for the ear. Um, I think that even if you don't understand Yiddish, something comes through. So Celia Dropkin was known in Yiddish as this a very sensuous, erotic writer. I should add that she had six children through all of this. She was known for having affairs, uh, although who knows, right? Um, uh, But on the other hand, um, she had a a very solid, uh, warm, secure family life with her husband and of the six, five children survived, one died of a childhood death um, or soon after birth, I can't remember. Um, and so uh, her, her poetry is, is very sensuous. And under it, you can often hear a kind of anxiety, an umru, an unquietness. 
Um, and I think that in this poem, you feel both. It's She's looking at her lover, I, I think is what this poem is about, in a car and talking, he's in a park, there's outstretched arms of trees. And at the one hand, there's a kind of, on the one hand, there's a kind of a staccato rhythm. On the other hand, there's also kind of a, a lulling, gentle quality to it all. These two things are there at the same time, and you can hear them in her voice. And, and then at the end, uh, the, it's the lover with the outstretched arms. And you're kind of left to wonder, are these outstretched arms ever going to embrace her? Not sure. You know, so as I read it more and more, um, as, as I said, I was always kind of looking for the clicks and the hisses. And this morning I read it over and I said, wow, you know, what is she doing here? You know, there's so many questions, so many ways that this poem can go. So now I'll take a, a listen to it. Okay. So proud the hand from Weimar, so proud the hand from Licht, and then blur gezicht. De trok die er een park, afspiegelend zwart, ze werden door nacht van de regen. Ben maar een baan, in spul van haar straal. Der park is vol met straal, met milchwitten, gemetten, met gilden en sieretten, met gilden en gewerven, van reten grimme spinnen, van treffen keert een reet, van treffen keert een grim, met regen en met leven, was pas in de machine. Der park is weer zaal, met tunsel en parket, met ben maar scandinabren, was wischen zeer licht, met gelen otterlicht, aan otterkarnival, aan tensen kapitie, in kiesjes dikken glie, Von schwarzen Kandelabern, von alle alle Farben, nach schwarzen Golden Grün, nach schwarzen Golden Reit, und du in der Maschine, bleich wie Tät. So braut die Hand von Bämer, so braut die Hand von Licht, und ein bleier Gesicht, und ein Hand wie Bämer, und ein Hand wie Licht. Let's move on now to Rachel Korn, if we can. So, Rachel Korn was um, a wonderful writer, who started off in Poland, uh, Galicia, and actually didn't know Yiddish that well. It wasn't really her native language, although I'm sure she heard it around her, but she was, she says that she learned it from her husband. Um, she, after the war, ended up in Canada and was sort of the grand lady of, of Montreal Yiddish poetry. And she is very, um, her first book, book was called Dorf, which is village. She grew up uh, in a village or not even a village, but in a farm on an estate, shall we say. Um, and so she was very connected to, to the earth, to, to nature, shall we say. But in this poem, um, which is a Holocaust poem, Who Can Still the Tears of Things, I think beautifully translated by Seymour Levitan, her main translator in Vancouver. Uh, she talks about um, the, the things that were found uh, that used to belong to Jews. And like so many uh, Holocaust writers, she somehow animates them and, and these things that are now in the hands of, of the murderers of Jews, the Poles, the Germans, the Ukrainians, whatever, uh, speak to her and they cry. And through them, she conjures up a whole a panorama of Jewish life that is no more. I would also like to say that Rachel Korn 
uh, doesn't have the voice I would expect her to have. Uh, it's not an unpleasant voice, but it's uh, kind of raspy. It's and it's very strong uh, in a way that I didn't expect for this lyrical poet. I'm told it's kind of a smoker's voice, actually. Actually, <laughs> so in terms of you know, is the voice always the voice you expect? I often use Rachel Korn as the example of no, it's not the voice I expected, but it is a um, it it is a voice that's commanding and that you do want to listen to. Wer wird einstellens gewein? Wer wird einstellens gewein von feizemen Sachen verschleppte von jüdische Heimen? A Teil in teutonischen Land, a Teil zu die eigene Scheinen. Er geht wie bänkter Tisch, sie schabes die Gelächt und weiße Halles. A Schifflut von alten Kamot, Halt noch Hals auf dem Reich von Brief, von weite Hosanem zu seire Kalles. Die Schafes gedenken a Tille verstreimel, a Rotunde von Seid, in Jinker freit zum ersten Mulbanei. Der Schmeichel von a Kind sein Wiegel, kimmt sich hol in dem Spiegel, was fleckt sich mit Javer wie mit vertrickendem Blick. Leidige Bixle verpsommen Stimmen, sei warten auf Simchis auf jom teuven Frimme, gedei sich se klingen zerschimmen, wie berlonkes zerblite de Bienen. Und silberne Leichters und meschene Hesses verheiden die Reihen wie Hälseren Xisse, wenn Steite berseider Keiler mit Messe. Wer wird einstellens Gewein von feizemen Sachen verschleppte von jüdische Heimen, a Teil in teutonischen Land, a Teil zu die eigene Schein. Well, thank you. And then we did get a sampling of her voice. That was pretty wonderful. Um, and Last, um, if we may, a more contemporary voice, which is Bela Schechter Gottesman. Yeah, so Bela, as she was and is known to the, the contemporary Yiddish world, was uh, really somebody that I had the opportunity and the honor to know quite well. And I was often at her house uh, as a guest, as with a group of, of people. Uh, she was the sister of my Yiddish teacher, Mordechai Schechter. And when I say my Yiddish teacher, the kind of the teacher of the teachers of most American-born um, or Canadian-born um, Yiddish teachers and scholars. And uh, she started actually as a poet. Um, uh, first, her debut was in Kadya Molodovsky's uh, journal, uh, called Spive, but mostly that was not a children's poem, but then she went on to write children's poetry, uh, both for herself and she, uh, because she had children, and also uh, she was a teacher. So she would, like Kadya Molodovsky, actually, who wrote a lot of children's poetry for the students that she had, um, 
Bela did the same, uh, producing poetry, producing plays, and so forth. And then, and then she kind of turned back to writing poetry. Um, in her, her later years, she became very well known as a writer of, in Yiddish, we call it Zingliedern, to distinguish between Lieder, which is poems, and uh, poems that you can sing. So she composed both the music and the poetry. And there are several wonderful CDs of her, of her music. Um, and she, she really was kind of a, a focal point and a, a focal figure for um, younger people interested in becoming performers of Yiddish music. So we're going to hear Mein Charte Mincia, my childhood friend Mincia, which is a Holocaust. She is going to be singing a cappella. It's a Holocaust uh, song. I'm sorry to have so much Holocaust, but it happens that these are really such strong and, and moving works, although not all the works by these writers are Holocaust works. But what, what I love about this poem, she's talking about her friend Mincia who, who perished. And um, there really aren't many works of Yiddish literature that deal with friendship between women. Um, and this this is one that does. And so I was immediately moved, moved by it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm so glad that that Bela um, decided to sing that one for us. This is a poem that is uh, often sung at Holocaust commemorations as well. And in the film that the League for Yiddish made about uh, Bela, or actually an interview of Bela, she talks about this poem and how Mincia was somebody she really admired because Mincia was um, a child of the working class, I think. And unlike Bela, who apparently her mother didn't let her wash the floor or do things like that, you know, she was more bourgeois. Uh, Mincia did all the, these things. And Bela really, I don't know that she talks about it in the poem, but she was always very taken with how practical and, and resourceful uh, this Mincia was. So it's a real homage to a friend. Gewachsen in einem Jahrselbiger Gas, Kinder zerfleugen in Spiel und Spaß. Käschen ist voll mit Gelächter und Frei, die gute Welt war in Zaffen und Grey. Wer will gerecht sich auf viele Getracht, as nun bei der Schwelbar Tafinsterin In Hinsef steh'n Gass Wie ein feiriger Strom 
Vadvim fashingen in finstern tom, Mene chavurten in se. Varinge hende, Tans nista fashik, Varinge gettos, Fartsam, Tumpastik. Verses and love ribbon as the So thanks so much, Eva. This has really been a treat to have you on um, and a chance to speak with you. For our listeners, the book is The Golden Peacock, The Voice of the Yiddish Writer, Bilingual Recordings and Text, 12 Yiddish Writers Read Their Poetry and Prose. It is, I'm delighted to say, available in the Yiddish Book Center's online and on-site bookstore, shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. And also, um, how can they get it from you if they would like to be in touch? Uh, they can get it from me by emailing me at sc. Zucker, that's S-C-Z-U-C-K-E-R at AOL.com. And just to say, if you get the book from any source, um, there is a digital download available, but that has to be gotten through me as well. So you'll get the book and it will tell you if you want the digital download to contact me at SCZucker at AOL.com. And you'll get that as well if you want it. Great. Thanks again. Um, I look forward to your next project. Um, thanks for all you have brought to this conversation and to our understanding of Yiddish literature and language over the many years. Take care and talk to you soon. Okay. Sei gesund. You have been listening to The Schmooze a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.